Right, guys, we are guests. Where we in? What book we're in today? John. John. No, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> Mark. Shouldn't be any surprise there if you are fairly regular with us. Um, the uh, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? The sun is shining. It is absolutely gorgeous. Rosie's back. Hi, Rosie. <laughs> she's been singing in the choir, in the cathedral choir, so she's just slipped in there. I'm sure she didn't like me embarrassing her, but not to worry. That's what dads do, isn't it? <laughs> Let's just pray as we, we come, to, um, come to Mark. Father, I want to thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Just so unbelievable sometimes. Thank you, Lord, for your word, the way you communicate with us. And so, Father, I pray, be with us now. Give us open ears to hear your word, to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right, so Mark chapter 7, we are the last little section of... um, of chapter 7, just a little, just a few verses really, um, and I'll just read them first of all, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a little chat about them. So it's entitled, Jesus Heals a Deaf Man. So we are, chapter 7, verse 31, then he returned, that's Jesus of course, from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, on, um, in the region of the Decapolis, and they brought him a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up into heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Epatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all these things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, notice people do the strangest things. You come across that any time? When I, a number of years back, when I was working back in Northern Ireland as, uh, in the opticians over there, a lady came in to me one day and she sat down on the chair to get her eyes tested. And then she put her hand into her mouth and she pulled out her set of false teeth and she put them on the, um, on the table in front of me. I looked at the teeth, I looked at her, she wasn't seemed to be concerned about it, so I thought, why should I bother? So I carried on, did the eye test, went through everything. At the very end of the test, she says to me, can I put them back in again? I says, please do. She grabs her teeth and puts them back into her mouth. To this day, I have got no idea why that woman felt the need to remove her teeth to get her eyes tested. She may have some logic in mind. I am not too sure. I guess I regret never asking the question now. But we'll never know. But in this story, Jesus does an equally strange thing. You see, he's traveling back. He's coming back to the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds... um, 
immediately gather around them as they're prone to do, and they bring to him a deaf man, but also a man with a speech impediment. Now, the commentators think this is probably due to some injury the man had, but the first thing that Jesus does is he takes the man away from the crowd. Just show something of Jesus' compassion for this man. He doesn't, he doesn't want this whole thing to turn into some sort of freak circus or, or healing circus. So he takes the man away privately. But also, Jesus wants the disciples to see exactly what is about to go on here. Because this is more than just another healing Now, to really understand what Jesus does here, perhaps a volunteer would be useful. Graham, come on forward there. You're not going to spit on me. Well, you never know. So, what happens? So, Jesus, he meets the man, okay? So, what he does, the first thing he does, excuse me a second. He he sticks, uh, I didn't do it properly, did I? He sticks the finger into the man's ears. Strange, but true. And then, <coughs> mm, probably, probably a little bit sticky, but not to worry. Just put your tongue out a second. Uh, no, I'm not doing either. Go ahead, sit down. <laughs> I'm not that cruel, really. Honestly, I'm not. Yeah. But you, you get the picture, right? This is really, really strange behavior. This is not the sort of thing you normally will do to a stranger when you meet them for the first time. Or at least I hope not. <laughs> well, now, of course, yeah. yeah. So why such strange behavior? What, was, was this just some sort of random act of madness on Jesus' part? Or was there a reason, some logic behind what he is doing in this moment? Now, worth saying, Jesus regards personal relationships with the people he meets, even those who are sick, as the highest priority. He really cares for people. He cares for individuals. He's already shown this in the way in which he takes this man privately away from this crowd so that he doesn't, this whole thing doesn't turn into some sort of freak show. He's already demonstrated that he cares for this man. And Jesus is emotionally moved when he sees people's lives being destroyed by sickness and by demonic possession. He cares for these people. His heart is moved with compassion for them. He loves them. He loves them passionately. He really cares. So perhaps if we think about it, if we take all this into consideration, the fact of understanding this man's situation and also the fact that Jesus wants to communicate with him effectively... Bearing in mind, this man is deaf, he can't hear. So Jesus communicates with him through touch. And in touching the man's ears, he's demonstrating to him something that is about to happen. These ears are going to be opened. In touching the man's tongue, he's saying, that tongue is going to become alive. When I started my um, secondary school, Form 1, it's equivalent to Year 7, yeah. Um, I went to an old boys' school, a grammar school. Academically, it was very good. However, in the early years, particularly, the discipline was not great, to be fair. 
So the third formers would greet the first formers by spitting on their backs. Not joking. <laughs> so you'd be walking down the corridor quite happily, minding your own business, and you'd hear, and then you'd feel something hit the back of your blazer. You take it off, and, well, you can imagine what it must have looked like. It's not pretty. Pretty disgusting. Now listen, spitting in Jesus' day was no less disgusting. In fact, under the Jewish law, if you were spat upon, it was regarded as an insult. It is regarded as a rebuke. And if a Jew was spat on, they would have to wash their clothes. They would have to wash themselves. In fact, they would remain ceremonially unclean until that evening. So as Jesus spits and then touches this man with a spit-covered finger, Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus is sending a huge insult here, a huge rebuke here. But listen, it was not to the man, but to the sickness, to the deafness, to the speech impediment. And then he speaks to the man. And the act of healing comes through words of liberation, not just to the ears, not just to the tongue, but to the whole person. And the words are very simple. Be open. And in that moment, a divine miracle takes place. And Mark, he records it very simply, very much matter of fact. The ears are opened and the man is able to hear again. The tongue is able to move and he can speak clearly. It's that simple. Listen, folks. Jesus is concerned about every aspect of your life. Nothing is too insignificant for him. Nothing is too unimportant for him. He's concerned about the little things just as much as he is concerned about the big things. And he wants you to come to him with every single thing that concerns you. It may be serious illness. It may be something as trivial as the color of socks you decided to put on this morning. He's interested in every single aspect of your life. And so often, we do not see God work simply because we don't ask. We don't see him acting and moving in our lives because we just simply have crowded our lives and we just don't notice what he's doing. And we need to come to our Heavenly Father a little bit more like children come to their parents. Because children just expect the answer to be yes. They just expect their mum and dad to do things for them. They, they, that's, they just come with expectancy. That's just the way they are. Now, my, my daughter's here, and, and over the years, we have, she's asked me many different things. She's gotten much older now. She's no longer a child anymore, of course. But even now, she still comes and asks me. Now, we're in the middle of exams at the moment. At least she is. I feel as if I am, too. Um, and so she said, Dad, will you help me with my biology? Or will you help me with my Latin? Now, I hate Latin. Everybody hates Latin, to be honest. No, I'm wrong. <laughs> but I still say yes. I still say yes to her. 
And listen, we need to come with that sort of attitude, knowing that our Heavenly Father will give good things to His children, knowing that He will bless us, knowing that if we ask according to His will, He will never, never let us down. We need to come with confidence to a God who is concerned about every single little aspect of your life. Now, at face value, this whole, um, this whole miracle doesn't seem that impressive. Jesus has done so much more impressive things than this over the time. We've heard about them in, in previous weeks. So why make such a big deal about this particular story and this particular healing? But you see, this is more than a healing because this is a parable that is being acted out for the benefit of the disciples and also for the benefit of us. And what we see here is Jesus demonstrating in the physical something that highlights a greater spiritual problem. So the question we should be asking ourselves here, here is, who is really deaf in this story? And the man's obviously deaf, in fact, and his, his, his ears are open. But who is really deaf? Who is spiritually deaf in this story? The answer? The disciples are. Perhaps we are. And how can their ears, these spiritual ears, be unblocked? Only by the power of Jesus. Now, many of us are perhaps susceptible to selective deafness. It's very much a male problem, perhaps, but I'm sure women aren't exempt from this as well. So I certainly have, have my issues over time, probably still do. Remember after we first got married, um, Rachel would send me off to the supermarket to get the shopping and, and buy in the, the groceries and stuff. So I would head out through the front door. And as I'm leaving, she sort of shouts after me, oh, by the way, Keith, can you remember to get me some butter and some tea and yogurts? Now, all I've heard is, because my mind's raced on to other things, I'm, I'm thinking, I wonder where we'll park, and I really fancy some chocolate today, and uh, what sort of chocolate could I buy today? So all I'm hearing really is, is that okay, Keith? And of course I just say, yeah, that's fine, no problem, that's grand. So off I go, I go round the supermarket, perhaps linger a little bit too long in the chocolate aisle, just select a nice bar of chocolate, and then I, I come, back, come back home again. We're unpacking all the groceries, all the shopping, and then she says to me, Keith, where's the yogurts? Where's the butter? Where's the tea? And I say, but you never told me. You didn't mention it. And she says, I did. I says, look, it's not on the list. It's not on the list. It wasn't on the list. I said, I told you just as you were leaving. Are you telling me that you, that you weren't listening to me? What are you trying to say? Are you sure you were not listening to me? Now, that question should never really be answered, guys. <laughs> because that's a trick question. Because you can't get the right answer to that one. Instead, you have one hope... Only one option left open to you in this dilemma. You reach into the bag where you know the chocolate is. The bit that you're keeping for yourself a little bit later on in the evening. You pull out the chocolate. You hand it over and say, but look, at least I bought you some chocolate. It works every time. <laughs> little tip for today. Listen. 
When it comes to hearing God's voice, some of you simply just don't listen. And sometimes because your ears are blocked through unbelief, in fact, you prefer to blank God out rather, rather than actually to acknowledge the fact that if you hear his voice, it will mean making some changes in your lives. For others, you choose not to listen, either because of unbelief, because of disobedience, or because lives are just so busy and you just build so much into your lives that you just drown out God's voice just in the busyness and in the humdrum of life. We need God to open our ears We need the Holy Spirit to tune us into God's voice. We need to create time in our days to allow His to to spend time in His presence. We need to create those opportunities, those times when we can really listen, when we can allow God to speak, when we can spend time with Him and hear what His voice sounds like and hear what His words sound like. We need to spend time in Scripture. We need to come to him with repentant hearts. But Jesus makes a further point here in this little passage in verse 32. Because, you see, Mark uses a rare word to describe this man's speech defect. And this word is almost certainly pointing to a passage in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 35. So those who are listening, particularly the Jews in the audience, those who are reading this for the first time, who know their Bibles really well, their minds will immediately go to this passage, Isaiah chapter 35, and they will realize that Jesus is making a huge claim here, a massive statement. Isaiah passage reads, Then the eyes... Of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for water breaks forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. See, this story, this um, healing, is not just about spiritual surgery, which of course it is. And it's not just about deaf ears being opened, which of course it is. This is the claim that God's promised king has come. And this act of touching this man's tongue, Jesus is declaring that he is the promised one. The one that the Old Testament prophets have been talking about for hundreds and hundreds of years. He's here. He's arrived. He's sent from the Father to heal this broken world, to bring freedom and hope and life, not just to this one man, but to everyone who believes, who puts their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ. Isaiah, the same prophet, is the guy who, in chapter 6, who stood before the throne of God in a vision, and he saw the seraphim, and they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole world is filled with his glory. And then Isaiah, in response to that, he realizes his sin and his guilt, and he cries, woe is me, I'm undone. 
I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. How different are we from Isaiah, really? Surely we can echo that cry in the presence of a holy God because of the guilt, because of the sin in our lives. The truth is, we need some help. And we are more helpless than any deaf person or any speech-impaired person. Not only can we not hear spiritually, but also any attempt to speak without Christ is is unintelligible. It's a bit like gobbledygook. We are in desperate need of a hero, of a saviour. And Jesus declares, as he touches this man's tongue, he says, I am that person. This is me. I have come. The king has arrived. The king is here. He's standing in front of you. And Jesus has got perfect credentials. His CV, amazing. Firstly, he is the creator of everything. It's good. Secondly, he lived a perfect, sinless life as a man. Oh, and thirdly, he's God. That's a good CV. Yet he was the one who went to the cross. He was the one who willingly died. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, God made him, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that we might know the righteousness of God. It's only Jesus. He is and was the only one who could carry the punishment for sin. He is our only hope. There is no other. An encounter, in fact, one touch from Jesus changes everything. And the power of God in Christ by the Spirit is still as potent, is still as powerful today as it was back then to set people free from guilt and from sin, to, to heal and to forgive. But one last thought from Mark. One last thing he mentions is a sigh. Verse 34, it says, Jesus sighs. Was this just a mark of frustration from Jesus? After all, the miracle wasn't that challenging for him, really. He's raised people from the dead. He's, he's calmed crazy storms to just to open a few ears. It's not that difficult for Jesus. So is this just about frustration? Well, it's interesting because early on in chapter 7, if you can remember back a couple of weeks, particularly in verse 18, the disciples are asking him about a parable. And he makes this statement to them. He says, he says, are you also without understanding? In other words, don't you see? Don't you understand? Can you not hear and understand what I am saying? The whole issue was about what defiles a person. Do you remember that bit? So we're not defiled by the things that come from the outside. We're defiled from within. It's our heart. That's the root of the problem. And Jesus says to these guys, you don't get it yet. Are you dull? Can't you not understand? Jesus has invested so much time in these guys' lives. He has spent time with them. He's been teaching them. But they just don't get it. He's certainly saddened by their lack of faith. 
So is this sigh just a mark of frustration? Just wondering, will these men ever get it? Possibly. However, Jesus hasn't given up on them. He still comes back. He still takes them. Even this story demonstrates that Jesus still wants to get through to them, still wants to impart something into them. When I go into work some days and and some of my staff come to me and say to me, Keith, you know, could you just show me this? Now, if I've shown them this maybe 10 times before, I'm not so patient with them, if I'm honest. So I'll go to to the computer and I'll say, you just do this, 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 and this. Click, click. Done. I walk away and they're probably even more confused than when I started. So I have to go back and do it more slowly for them. And and maybe I'm just not the best teacher in the world, possibly. But listen, Jesus is not like me. Amen? (laughs) He's not like me. Jesus is the greatest teacher of all, and he invests time in these people. So I think this sigh is not just about frustration. I wonder what was going through Jesus' mind in that moment as he looks up into heaven. What's he thinking? Was there a realization that for ears to be opened in the spiritual sense that this could only happen when sin, when disobedience, when rebellion had been dealt with, when God's righteous anger had been appeased, and that this could only be achieved through his sacrificial death on the cross? And that moment as Jesus looks into heaven, as he sighs, is the shadow of the cross weighing heavy on his mind? Does he want us to see and understand that the greater miracle, the greatest miracle of all of opening deaf ears in the spiritual sense is extremely difficult? And yet Jesus knows this is the greatest thing that can ever happen to a person. For a life to be transformed by the Spirit of God, to be brought from darkness into life, from death into life. Paul picks up a similar theme in 2 Corinthians 4. And he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing The God of this age, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they just can't see, they can't hear, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Listen, the power that is needed to bring us to the realization that Jesus Christ is and should be our identity, that our hope, that our salvation is in him, is no less than the power that it took to bring all of creation into existence. 
It is no small matter to change a sinner's heart. It's no small matter to change a sinner's heart. This is a miracle that only God can do. So folks, we must never make light of our salvation. We must never make light of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Yet how easily we disobey. How easily we sin sometimes without just a moment's thought. Listen, this cost Jesus everything. It cost his life. It cost his life. In many ways, this message is is very simple this afternoon. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Jesus cares for you enough to do a miracle in your life. It may be the miracle of becoming a Christian. It may be the miracle of forgiveness. It may be the miracle of a healing. It it may be the miracle of just the strength to deal with a, a difficult or challenging situation. Perhaps this afternoon, maybe ears will be opened physically and spiritually. But Jesus is both willing and he's able. Let's stand together.